In 2015, I was privileged to co-chair a conference in Boston. We called it Old Ways Common Ground, and we brought together dissenting nutrition scientists, so people who favored low-fat, high-fat, Mediterranean vegan, people who advocated for dairy, advocated for meat. We had a few days of presentations, but in between the presentations, we all got together in the back room and tried to work out the common ground. And we pushed on one another, and there was a consensus statement. Because, you know, even the paleo people were willing to say, we need to eat a diet of mostly plants. You know, e even if we debate that about what was best in the Stone Age, we're not in the Stone Age. There are 8 billion of us now. It changes the equation. That's Dr. David Katz. And this, and this is episode 138 of the Prove Podcast. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another Wednesday Wisdoms episode. Hope this week has been treating you well and you're feeling fit and healthy. For any first timers joining us, better late than never. I'm Simon Hill, your show host, author, nutritionist, and physiotherapist. Each week on this show, I sit down with guests from all over the world to talk about nutrition science, health, wellness, and sustainability. And midweek, I drop a Wednesday Wisdoms episode, just like this one, which is a condensed information-packed throwback delivered by a previous guest. Today's is one of my favorite voices in nutrition science, Dr. David Katz. In a world of diet extremes and dogma, Dr. Katz offers a much-needed voice of reason. Today's question, what is the optimal diet. I hope you enjoy it and I look forward to catching you on the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. David Katz. If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 Multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains 8 key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA Omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750 milligrams of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating 2 to 3 pieces of fatty fish per week in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. 
Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash living proof to download your zero cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash living proof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. In 2013, I guess it was, the editors at Annual Review of Public Health said, we'd like you to do a review paper entitled, Can We Say What Diet is Best for Health? And we want you to suppress any native bias you may have, follow the evidence where it leads and answer the question. And I did. And to the best of my knowledge, it's the most downloaded paper that that journal has ever published. Essentially, the answer was yes and no. The question is, can we say what diet is best for health? If by that you mean, can we say whether this narrowly defined prescriptive diet, let's say, you know, some specific version of the Mediterranean diet is better or worse than the DASH diet is better or worse than some specific version of whole food plant-based, you know, is better or worse than an idealized paleo? No, we can't because think of the science you would need to take an optimal Mediterranean diet, an optimal flexitarian diet, an optimal vegan diet, and prove decisively that one is better than the other. You'd basically, since we know that dietary influence begins in utero, you'd really want to randomly assign pregnant women. And you would want to then assign the pregnant women to these different diets. And again, they'd all have to be comparably optimized. So it's a fair comparison. You know, you can't do a bad Mediterranean to a good low-fat plant-based. You know, whatever you're Whatever diets you put together, you put together with the same quality standards. And then when the women give birth, their, their offspring would be the study participants. And let's keep in mind now that we have everybody on diets that are massively better than what most people are eating. So everybody's going to do fairly well. And the question is who does the best. But when everybody does fairly well and bad outcomes are rare, the differences are small. And when differences are small in research, you need massive sample sizes and huge amounts of time. So we probably need, oh, I don't know, 50,000 pregnant women randomly assigned and then all of their offspring. And then we need to follow them for long enough to see differences for one, which are unlikely to happen in childhood. But the influence of diet begins certainly in childhood. So we want them assigned from birth. And then we need to follow them long enough so that they do or don't develop chronic disease. So that's what, 50 years. But then we also really want to know if we're going to say which diet is best, how does it affect longevity and life expectancy? So we need a lifetime. So we need 50,000 people randomly assigned to different diets for 100 years. So, you know, in this paper, we said, you know, the science required to say that one narrowly defined branded my diet can beat your diet is the best is never going to happen. But if you if you think of the question as meaning, can we say in general, 
what basic dietary pattern is best for homo sapiens? Definitive, decisive, easy, absolute, yes, real food, not too much, mostly plants, as Michael Pollan put it famously and succinctly in seven words, wholesome foods, plant predominant, sensible combinations, mostly time-honored combinations. And so, you know, basically, if your diet is largely made up of whole unprocessed or minimally processed vegetables, fruits, grains, beans, lentils, nuts, seeds. And if when you're thirsty, you mostly drink plain water, you cannot go too far wrong. That is the theme of the optimal diet for homo sapiens we know beyond the shadow of a doubt. And then everything else really is debate about variance on the theme. And so that was how we answered the question. The simple reality is that any of those diets, so pick paleo, you know, a lot of people wave the paleo banner and say, I eat paleo. And what it means is they eat a lot of bacon and pepperoni. Well, there was no Paleolithic pepperoni. It's absurd. You know, our Stone Age ancestors did eat meat, but they ate the meat of wild animals because there were no domestic animals. They hunted. And, you know, how much they hunted is a matter of substantial debate among paleoanthropologists. I'm an amateur. I read the literature, but, you know, I, I don't presume to say. Most of them would agree, though, that it varied. And, you know, there are probably times and places and groups of Homo sapiens that ate a fair amount of meat. And there were times and places and groups of Homo sapiens that ate relatively little meat. They probably all got at least 50% of their calories from plants, and many of them probably got more. So wherever we look at our ancestral dietary pattern, there was a lot of wild plant eating. And there was wild animal eating, and the wild animals were in turn eating wild plants. And what's routinely overlooked by people who say, you know, I eat paleo and have, you know, hamburgers without the bun is the, the difference in the fundamental composition of you know the flesh of wild animals like what our ancestors may have eaten and the the flesh of the domestic animals that are mass produced in factory farms today it's absolutely night and day just a very quick example i know this is this is a group that prefers to talk about plant eating and frankly so do i but just so we're clear on this because it you know it's part of the rebuttal so in the the literature on paleolithic nutrition one of the illustrations used is Okay, the kind of meat our ancestors ate is probably a lot like antelope. If we, had, we look for a modern animal that's kind of like the, the animals they ate. So compositionally, an antelope steak derives about 7% of its calories from fat, 7%. Almost none of it's saturated, vanishingly low levels of saturated fat. And there's a substantial amount of omega-3. In other words, omega-3 only is fish oil because we've domesticated it out of everything else. It used to be widely distributed in, in both plant and animal foods. Compare that to a fairly average steak from a factory farm, grain-fed beef steer. And um, about 35% of the calories come from fat. Much of it's saturated. None of it's omega-3. I mean, they're, they're just completely different foods, right? Five-fold difference in fat content, complete difference in the kind of fat, and those compositional differences extend to many other nutrients as well, but fat makes the case. So, you know, again, there are many problems with this my diet can beat your diet beauty pageant nonsense, but among them is the fact that people substitute the name of a diet for the substance of it. And you tell me paleo and I'd say, I have no idea what you mean. You might mean a, a wide variety of wild plants and occasional venison and wild salmon. And frankly, if you mean that, it's probably a fantastic diet. Is it better than vegan? We haven't done the comparison to say. Personally, I doubt it, but we, you know, we honestly don't know in terms of specifically in terms of human health outcomes. In terms of environmental footprint, I think vegan is the best. And by the way, just a quick digression, I like to look at diet 
through three lenses, direct effects on human health, how we treat our fellow creatures who have all the same rights to be here that we do, and impact on the overall environment, planet, climate, aquifers, biodiversity in general, etc. You look through those three lenses and the argument for an overwhelmingly plant-predominant to plant-exclusive diet is pretty much a slam dunk. Which is better for human health outcomes? Optimal pescatarian, so a plant-predominant diet with fish and only the best fish, versus optimal vegan, meaning whole food, plant-exclusive, no fish. Which is better? I don't know. And this this will bring us start to bring us back in the direction where you started, where you know instead of what. So if you eat wild salmon, and the baseline diet is the typical Australian diet, the typical American diet, the typical diet's junk, as you said. You know, forty two percent of your calories come from junk food, sixty percent of our calories come from your, whatever those numbers actually are. They they change all the time, but it's high. Well, is wild salmon better than any of that hyper processed Franken food? Hell yeah, easy yes. So, you know, it's got whatever, almost whatever it displaces from your diet, whether it's hamburgers, hot dogs, pepperoni, bacon, or hyper-processed junk food, wild salmon is going to be better for you. So, you know, is that why all of our epidemiology says, you know, fish looks good because of what it's bumping out of the diet? Is it the benefit of the omega-3, the benefit of the fish, or is it the fact that everything else you would be eating if you eat typically is worse? And so, you know, basically better and worse are relative terms. So if this is better than this, because this is horrible, eat more of this, less of this, you are trading up. But what if your baseline diet is a fantastic plant exclusive diet and you start eating wild salmon? Well, I imagine then you're probably going to be bumping out some beans and some lentils and, you know, maybe some whole grains to make room for those extra calories. And now what about that? Is that better or worse? Well. Honestly, we do not know. Again, we can look through three lenses and say, you know, first of all, I don't want you eating wild salmon because it's toxic to the salmon. Let let the grizzly bears eat them. Let nature have its way and work out its balance, but let's not interfere. We're depleting the fisheries. We're destroying the planet. Let's stop doing that. Eight billion hungry homo sapiens cannot eat animals, period, end of story. It's bad for the animals, bad for biodiversity, bad for the environment. Okay. So if you say, you know, there's evidence that the very best foods are plant foods, beans, lentils, etc. There's no evidence that we need to eat animal foods at all. And you add in the benefits to biodiversity, the planet, it, it's a very strong argument. You know, the, the reality now is, and to some extent then was, that what matters more than the total amount of fat is clearly the sources of fat. And I, I say sources rather than varieties because, but there's saturated fat in extra virgin olive oil, there's saturated fat in avocado, there's saturated fat in walnuts. All naturally occurring fats are a mix of the different varieties of fatty acids. You, you, you basically need a biochemistry lab to purify a particular fatty acid. So saturated fat doesn't just occur in the foods we associate it with. It's not just in dairy and in meat. It's in nuts, it's in seeds, it's in seed oils, it's widely distributed in foods that contain any kind of fat. The issue, though, is concentration. And so we could say, okay, so I don't want to talk about saturated fat exclusively. I want to talk about concentration of saturated fat. We want to avoid foods that are highly concentrated in saturated fat. Okay, mostly true. Although debate about the specific health effects of the saturated fat in, say, coconut, lauric acid, which appears to be fairly innocuous and maybe neutral in terms of both inflammation and atherosclerosis. 
What about the particular saturated fat that predominates in dark chocolate or cocoa? Uh, that's stearic acid. That's clearly innocuous, not inflammatory. And this has to do with the length of the carbon chain. So stearic acid is a long chain fat, and just the way it's processed biochemically, it doesn't produce inflammatory cytokines, and it doesn't contribute to atherosclerosis. Saturated fat's not bad. It's not evil. It's not like the Almighty came down and said, thou shalt not eat saturated fat. You know what's bad? What's reliably bad? Imbalance. Everything about nature, biology, physiology, whether it's the human body or the ecosystem at large, favors balance. Balance is good. Imbalance is bad. Imbalance is you're going to fall down, boom, and hurt yourself. Well, if your diet is prone to an excess of saturated fat, saturated fat becomes bad because more of it makes an excess worse. In other words, compounds the imbalance. Another good example, I'll come back to the other fats momentarily, but another good example of this same issue, Simon, would be sodium. I imagine we all tend to think of sodium or salt as bad. Why is it bad? Because most of us get too much. You get too much, getting more is indeed bad because it compounds or exacerbates an existing imbalance. But the simple reality is sodium is an essential nutrient. If you don't eat sodium, you become hyponatremic, you get confused, you have seizures, and then you die. Hyponatremia is a really dreadful condition. I've seen and treated it many times in the hospital. There are a variety of reasons people get it. It's bad news. It really is. So you must consume sodium and you must consume a certain amount of sodium. So then what makes sodium bad? Why do we think of salt as bad? Because we eat too much. Too much is bad. Too little is bad. Imbalance is bad. I think if I'm going to leave one thing behind here today, it would be as you think about the best lens to view and judge all of the issues you hear about diet, balance. Does it take us toward or away from a healthy, balanced, wholesome food, sensible combination, time-honored, weight of evidence, all that good stuff, but you know, toward or away from balance? Okay. So saturated fat tends to be pro-inflammatory. By the way, inflammation is not bad either. Being out of balance is bad. You need inflammation. It's what protects you from pathogens like COVID. It's what protects you from rogue cells that cause cancer. If you don't have inflammation, your immune system is not working. On the other hand, if you have too much inflammation, it puts you at risk for the cytokine storm that's likely to kill you if you get COVID and likely to give you chronic disease. Again, imbalance is bad. So we get too much saturated fat. We have too much inflammation. That's bad. And the other issue is, and, and this is why I don't like to focus on macronutrients. For example, T. Colin Campbell in, in the China study tells us, forget about the fat. It's the animal protein that's the problem. Well, with all due respect to, to Colin, Maybe it doesn't matter all that much. If we know that the foods are the problem, if you eat a lot of meat, eat a lot of dairy, you're in trouble. Maybe it's the saturated fat. Maybe it's the animal protein. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's the iron. Maybe it's all three. Maybe it's 17 things. Maybe it's 217 things. But we know what foods are the problem. Eat less of that. Eat more beans, lentils, nuts, seeds, vegetables, fruits, and whole grains. Whatever the nutrient-specific explanations may be, we know what the remedy is at the level of food. So, you know, again, I, I think the real message about saturated fat should be all of the world's best diets associated with the best human health outcomes are low in total saturated fat because they are relatively low in meat and dairy products and much higher in foods that contain vanishingly lesser amounts of saturated fat. So, you know, again, I, I think if we focus on wholesome foods, sensible combinations, we would all readily reach the conclusion that macronutrient thresholds are just not a terribly useful concept. 
You can eat a low-fat diet. It could be terrible. You know, again, Coca-Cola and, and jelly beans would be a low-fat diet, really bad. You could eat a low-fat diet. It could be great. You could eat a high-fat diet. It could be an optimal Mediterranean diet. It could be beautiful. You could eat a high-fat diet, and it could be lots of pepperoni, and it could be terrible. And the same with higher or lower carbohydrates. So let's focus on the foods. In 2015, I was privileged to co-chair a conference in, in Boston, Massachusetts, with Walter Willett. It was sponsored by Old Ways, a nonprofit. And we called it Old Ways Common Ground, and we brought together dissenting nutrition scientists, so people who favored low-fat, high-fat, Mediterranean vegan, people who advocated for dairy, advocated for meat. And we, we had a few days of presentations, but in between the presentations, we all got together in the back room and tried to work out the common ground. And we pushed on one another. And this is all available online. You just Google Old Ways Common Ground. You can find all of the presentations, the slides, the videos, and the consensus statement. And there was a consensus statement. Because, you know, even the paleo people were willing to say, we need to eat a diet of mostly plants. You know, e even if we debate that about what was best in the Stone Age, we're not in the Stone Age. There are 8 billion of us now. It changes the equation. Everybody agreed the best diets are mostly vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, lentils, nuts, and seeds, plain water when thirsty. And they, there was some disagreement. You know, I like high fat. I like low fat. I favor Mediterranean. I prefer vegan. Okay, fine. But, you know, we, we basically agreed about 90 to 95% of everything. There we go. What a great way to freshen up on a few things. I hope you found that insightful. I think I'll have to get Dr. Katz back on the show sometime soon. Now, before we call it a day and I let you go, two things. One, some super exciting episodes are coming your way. One of these guests is literally one of the world's leading, if not the leading, nutrition scientist performing randomized controlled trials. Super highly regarded, super personable, and he's joining us. So that's super cool. Make sure you hit subscribe right now on the Apple Podcast app or follow along on Spotify. You don't want to miss out on that one. Finally, have you got a copy of my complimentary two-week meal plan yet? Some 45,000 people have downloaded it so far, maybe more now. There's loads of social sharing happening. If you do have it and are making some of the recipes, be sure to tag me. I love seeing people in the community giving them a go. And if you don't have it, what are you waiting for? Inside is a host of breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snack recipes, all professionally shot. All of the nutritional information is provided, all totally complimentary. Just go to plantproof.com forward slash meal plan. That's plantproof.com forward slash meal plan. And you can download it. Zero catches. All right, that's it. We did it. Thank you for attending. I appreciate you. And thank you to you, Dr. David Katz, for sharing that dose of wisdom with us. Stay well, and I'll catch you next episode. Until then, remember, more plants, my friends, more plants.